Welcome to Fast Fiction. Sometimes marital discord can lead to grave consequences. Marla flicked away the halo of flies and pushed open the door of the old Queenslander. Her Italian knit jacket, alligator bag and armful of magazines fell in disarray on the floor. The only thing left in her trembling hands was the packet. A small packet the size of an audio tape. It had been lying with a handful of service bills in the mailbox. She stared at the handwriting closely. There was no doubt about it. It was written in the fine, elegant hand of Stuart, her late husband. A small tinge of excitement swept through her as she saw it had no postmark. Stuart had been dead for a week. Her carefully manicured fingers were clumsy, and she was slow to find an opening. Damn you, Stuart, and your trashy tricks, she cursed to the empty house. Finally the paper fell back, and as she had half expected, a small cassette fell into her hand. One side was clearly labelled Side One. She walked into the lounge and switched on the light to combat the gloom. Although curious about her ghoulish discovery, she first set about finding something to drink. She needed fortification. It had been a long, hot drive from Brisbane. A light film of dust covered the old-fashioned furniture. This time she ignored it, though it usually provoked outbursts of temper. Dear God, Stuart, this place is an embarrassment for a horse breeder in your position. Get an architect in, or at least some designer furniture, for Christ's sake. The liquor cabinet was full of fine wines, but she ignored them in favour of a nearly full bottle of cognac, her favourite. Once settled with a glass and the bottle beside her, she picked up the tape. OK, Stuart, let's hear what you've got to say, Marla said as she turned to the cassette player. She inserted the tape and pushed the play button. Stuart's voice was warm and controlled. Hello, darling. I guess you realise already this is from me. Marla adjusted her elegant body more comfortably in the chair and silently raised her glass in mock salute. How nice of you to follow my dying wishes and visit my old family home one last time. I know how much you've always hated it. I hope the trip wasn't too disastrous for you. Hot, was it? Hmm, poor darling. You rat, said Marla under her breath. You know damn well that Roma in midsummer is like an oven. I do hope you followed my wishes and came here alone. But you can be trusted to play at, can't you, darling? And you know the locals will take note of the grieving widow paying her respects at the cemetery. Did you bring flowers? or oh, not lilies, I hope. There was a long pause on the tape, but so expecting a response. Marla gave it with wry satisfaction. Yes, I bought lilies. I remembered how they always triggered your asthma attacks. And I spat on your grave as I put them down. <laughs> They'll be withered already in this goddamned heat, she added bitterly. The voice went on. Before you get too comfortable, my dear, I would like you to go and check the car. I assume you parked it right up at the front door, as you always do. Don't like to get those little stiletto heels damaged, eh? The glass in Marla's hand stopped short of her lips. Go on, just press the pause button. I'll wait. I've got nothing better to do. The voice had adopted a cynical tone. Curious, Marla did as she was bid, but the car was still where she had parked it in front of the house. She began to close the door, then looked again. Shit! The venom exploded into the dry evening air as she took in the front tyre. 
flat. With high heels ill-suited to the rough ground, she stumbled around to check the other side. Oh, shit, shit, shit! Almost running back into the lounge, she released the pause button, choking out the words, You bastard, Stuart! His voice resumed its lilting laugh. I have her place the spikes in the right position. I wasn't at my best last week. Not long before the big day, you understand. Still, I put so many there, I didn't think you could have missed them. Up yours, Marla snarled, directing a one-finger action towards the ceiling. The voice mocked. I always said you should learn to change a tide, didn't I, dear? But you thought the combination of a checkbook and a shapely figure was insurance against such a need. Well, I hope you're right. Marla punched her clenched fist against the side table, sending the gold charms of her bracelet tinkling musically. Then, as if her dead husband was still in the room, she called out, You bet I am, adding confidently. The mechanic down the road always leers at me. He won't mind coming out at any hour. Her taunting monologue stopped abruptly as Stuart continued. Especially as you'll find the telephone is no longer functioning. I had it disconnected, saving unnecessary expenses for you. Well, after all, I know you're not likely to use the place anymore after tonight. Marla's growing anger was replaced with a spark of alarm. She reached for the pause button again before walking over to the telephone. She picked it up and listened hopefully for the dial tone. The line was dead. What the hell was going on? This silly last rites prank of Stuart's was turning nasty. Really nasty. It wasn't as if she could use her mobile in this snake pit either. She wouldn't have come, but Stuart's close friend and solicitor, Martin Sudbury, had contacted her urgently the previous morning. I've just received a letter from Stuart with one enclosed for you. I understand there is a provision that must be observed before I can process the will. I assume you will be gracious enough to carry out his wishes to the best of your ability and inform me of any outcomes. Then we can expedite the reading of the will. It had been totally inconvenient, of course, as she had intended to fly down to Melbourne for a weekend shopping. Maybe find a unit to buy, so there would be no delay once the old Brisbane and Roma houses had been sold. But she thought it best to carry out these last wishes in order to avoid unnecessary complications. Stuart's letter dated the day before his death had been concise and to the point. Dear Marla, I would like you to drive to the old homestead on Tuesday 14th. Sometime early next morning a familiar visitor will arrive who will direct future activities regarding the dispensation of my property. All right. So she would have to stay overnight in this shitty house after all. But she had plenty of good brandy, good wine and a few magazines for company. Once the visitor came tomorrow morning, she would catch a ride to the service station. It was about 20 kilometers down the road. Then after she had breakfast, the mechanic could return with her and fix the car. She felt a little better and sat back in the glow of the lamp to listen. Stuart's voice had become more serious. I guess you're really curious now as to why I brought you here. And yes, my dear, it's for more than just compromising you to stay overnight in a place I know you hate. There was a slight cough leading to another and the <clears> click <throat> of the recorder being turned off. <clears throat> another click and it resumed almost immediately. It was a bad blow to me when I found out about the cancer. That was downright unlucky. The business was doing well, and even though I realised I'd made a big mistake marrying you, I knew you'd stay with me whilst the money was being dished out, and you'd come from a celebrity status. The voice was now edged with sarcasm. Until you'd forged a career in movies anyway, and quite frankly, my dear, everyone agrees... That would be a miracle for someone so scant in talent and overburdened in years. 
Marla's anger returned, and her carefully sculpted features contorted as she raged. You lying bastard! I partly blame you for my illness, of course. The stress, the deceit, the humiliation of you cheating on me with every young buck that came along. Once again she had been ready to argue, but hearing... So I decided to take control. She quietened down to listen. You may be interested in this, my dear, so I suggest you listen closely. If you want to make yourself comfortable and get yourself a drink, I'll wait. There was a distinct pause on the tape, and Marla called out impatiently, Ha-ha! <laughs> I'm one up on you there, Stew Baby. I've been getting myself quietly slosh listening to your piffle. So carry on when you're ready, my dear, she mimicked. A slight muffled cough, and then the voice returned. <coughs> you see, you see, I, I knew there was nothing to be done for the cancer, but wait, and eventually became totally dependent on loved ones? This last was delivered with irony. But then I got to thinking how much I wanted you to pay for all those lies. That's when I came up with the idea of a suicide murder. Marla sat upright. What the hell did he mean? Suicide murder. He died of natural causes. She'd seen his corpse and the medical certificate had confirmed it. A small laugh. <laughs> I thought to myself, wouldn't it be funny if I could set it up? so that you could be accused of my death. There was a rasping sound from the machine, a click, and then silence. For a moment she sat stunned. What was all this leading up to? Looking at the machine as if it was Stuart himself, she responded hysterically. You're raving. You're dead, dead. <laughs> you can't hurt me. Now fear overcame her. I, I, I've got to get out of here. She went over to the window on unsteady legs, peering through the shadows. Twilight outlined the spire eucalypts which flanked the long rutted road leading to the cattle grid. With despair she looked down at her shoes. She knew she would never mount the five kilometres to the highway, even if she did have the nerve to wave down a passing motorist. A scuttle on the roof invoked a cry of fear. A, a possum, maybe? Imagination introduced menace into all the nocturnal bush sounds. A mopoke hooting its intention of diving for small vermin. Legless creature slithered through the brush. The cry of dingoes, the snort of wild pigs. She shuddered. The bush by day was formidable enough, but oh, by night it invited nothing less than sheer terror. Marla returned to her chair and gulped down another mouthful of the brandy, waiting for the familiar assurance it gave her. Reasoning returned suddenly, and with a childish cry of excitement, she bent towards the machine. <laughs> Turn the tape! She did so, and almost immediately the deep, cultured voice resumed. Did you think I'd finished? No such luck, my sweet. Yes, like I said, a suicide murder. Now, you must admit, that's a new idea. Usually it's the other way around. But you see, I had plenty of time to think of this. All those nights you were out, what was it? Visiting your sister? Her retort was high-pitched with wrath. Well, what did you expect me to do? Stay home and play Florence Nightingale to a stinking rotten invalid? Stuart's voice forced her to listen. You see, during the last few weeks, I've been taking a steady dose of arsenic. Not too much. I didn't want to get sick too quickly. But it's cumulative, you see, and I only took it when you had prepared a drink for me. Or some light refreshments. That's one of the reasons I started up the diary. 
So I could put all sorts of details in it. Details? What details? Lies more like. She had nothing to fear. He was dead and buried. She had seen his corpse and the medical certificate. Natural causes. And of course, if you remember, my dear, I insisted on being buried in the family plot, not cremated. No, she hadn't remembered because, well, she hadn't taken any note of the funeral arrangements once she knew it was going to be out here in this moronic town of Roma. There was another long pause on the tape, giving Marla time to digest this news and think. So the body could be exhumed and found to contain arsenic, and evidence would point to her. Rubbish! It was all purely circumstantial. You did me a favour going early, she snarled. Anyway, why would I bother killing you when all I had to do was to wait for the cancer to do it for me? Of course, now you're wondering how I can incriminate you from the grave. Stuart's voice interrupted her thoughts. Well, you're right. I can't do much. A slight chuckle turned into another cough. That's why I let you and everyone think that I was leaving everything to you, my dear. And told them how good you had been, looking after me so well, cooking for me, giving me my medication, showing how wrong we were when we thought you didn't have a domestic bone in your body. You lying sod! I didn't prepare anything for you. She felt no guilt at this admission, nor in the knowledge that she had gone out every night immediately the day nurse had gone. But it was true. She had played the caring wife to the hilt. You go home now, Doris. He's sleeping peacefully, and I'll stay by in case he needs anything. Stuart was still chuckling. <laughs> of course, I did admit to Martin that you were concerned, for humane reasons, perhaps, that the cancer was taking a long time. Oh, and how odd some of the food tasted, which I put down to your dreadful cooking, sweetie. But I'm sure you don't mind that. Now the voice was off-hand again. And by the way, I hired an accomplice too. A nobody, really. Just a guy I met in a bar a few weeks ago, whom I felt I could trust. I gave him a wad of money as reimbursement for delivering a couple of packages for me. This Cass had, and a similar one to Martin Sudsbury. He will receive his tomorrow, telling him where I hid my diary, my growing doubts about you, and permission to perform an autopsy, should he think it necessary. There was another long pause in the tape. Marla was hardly breathing. Then when the voice continued, it was quieter. A note of despair had crept in, as if he had always been resigned to the inevitable. Of course, this is all conjecture. You may never receive this tape. Or you may listen to it in the company of some current toy boy. In which case, you may well find yourself clear of any possible murder charge. But, if nothing else... It may hinder your hopes for stardom a little. There was an unexpected click, and the familiar quiet hiss of the tape in broadcast mode went quiet. Marla sat still, disbelief mixing with dismay. The empty room began to swallow her. Her mind was in turmoil. She jumped to her feet. May you rot in hell, Stuart! You'll never get away with it! There was little doubt in her mind that such flimsy evidence would not convict her. But it was true. The publicity would ruin her career. And she was talented and still beautiful, no matter what he said. She would just have to counteract every one of his accusations. Suddenly, a roar of laughter escaped from deep in her throat. <laughs> oh, God, you nearly got me, Stuart, you bloody idiot. But you've just convicted.
convicted yourself. She leant over to the machine and in the gloom searched for the rewind button. It's all here, my sweet. Proof of my innocence. She jabbed at the rewind button with excitement, causing one of her long polished nails to break. Cursing, she looked down at the elegant ring-laden hand, now slightly less than perfect. Then directing her attention back to the machine, she jabbed at the button once again. The machine snapped into life, skimming back over the played tape. Stopping randomly, she pushed a play and waited. There was nothing but the whir of a blank tape. Again she rewound it further back, but each time there was little to hear but the evidence of a blank tape. She sat stunned. She had run it back and forth over what had been already played, but there was nothing on it. It was all blank. Finally, desperate, she returned it to the second side. Maybe, just maybe, there was something more further on, with Stuart laughing at her that it had all been a macabre joke. She put the machine into fast-forward mode, then pressed play. Nothing. Suddenly, the energy of an active tape moving forwards across the heads and Stuart's voice. Are you still there, Marla? His voice was quiet, but distinct. I'm wondering now if I know you well enough. Did you try to replay me? But I'm gone, aren't I, my dear? Finally gone. And this will be too. Marla was stiff with concentration. You may remember I used to play around with audio gear when I was bugging the trainers for possible drug use. I know how to doctor machines to erase as soon as the tape is played. Not a skill often needed. His speech had a quiescent, flat quality now. You're right, Marla. It probably wouldn't have worked. And I'm a bit disadvantaged, being dead. So, I'm going to bring out of my ace and hope desperately you can't trump me. She bent her head towards the machine, listening intently to the almost inaudible voice. First, the will. I've done the right thing and left you everything as promised. Marla's mouth curled in a satisfied smile. But I must apologise. The familiar visitor you're expecting is only known to me at the moment, though I'm gambling that you might know him yourself very soon. He's often known as the Grim Reaper. That's what makes him familiar. He comes to us all in time. You see, when I came to the homestead last week, to say my farewells to my memories, and lay my welcoming bed of sparks for you, I left something else I knew you couldn't resist. Quality cognac. But now that you come to think of it, darling, does it taste a little odd? A little bitter? The dead man's widow sat very still. She stared at the glass in her hand and the almost empty bottle. Very slowly, a cold chill began to infuse her. Marla's dead husband seemed to have a spurt of energy as he spoke his final jeering words. Maybe you should write your own suicide note with a confession, eh? Don't worry, I've already written one for you. And how about this for an epitaph? Here lie Mr. and Mrs. Stuart Grieve, who both went to their maker by the same route. May they rest, though not in peace, together. You have been listening to Grave Consequences.
has been one of the Spouse Trap series. For more information, go to fastfictionpodcast.com. Thank you.